This week, we're sharing an update of one of our favorite episodes for spring. It's about a famous seed experiment. When we recorded this episode last year, the first seeds had sprouted, but it took scientists months to find out how many would grow. So make sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear the experiment's full results. Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're following a secret map to a hidden treasure. Ooh, what's the treasure? The treasure is a bottle of seeds buried over 140 years ago. We're going to follow the scientists on a mission under the cover of night to dig it up in one of the longest-running experiments in history. Hey, Tumble fans. As always, I'd like to remind you that Tumble is free and available to everyone thanks to the generous support of our advertisers. But if you don't like hearing all those ads, you can listen to Tumble completely ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at the $1 level or higher. Some of our new patrons this past week are Charlotte Moe, Salvador, Leland Oak, Maya Joe, Charlie, Tess, Magnolia, and Karina Joy. Thanks so much, y'all, and I hope you're enjoying those ad-free episodes. All right, so we're hunting for treasure. So tell me, is this bottle of seeds, like, are the seeds made of gold, or do you plant them and a magic tree grows that grants wishes? Because that's a cool science thing. (laughs) Very scientific. But before we find out the secret of the treasure, let's meet our guide. I'm David Lowry. Oh, I know that guy. That's our friend David. Yeah, we've known David and his family for years, beginning when David was just getting his start as a plant biologist. And don't get him started about switchgrass. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> David is now a full-grown scientist at Michigan State University, home to an epic seed experiment. And when I asked David about it, he started by telling me a legend. Every treasure hunt starts with a legend. A long time ago, in 1879, a scientist here by the name of Beale planted the seed experiment... William James Beale was a pioneering plant biologist. He did lots of amazing things. Probably the most famous of which was to develop hybrid corn, which is grown now all over the United States and the main way we produce corn. So that makes him famous in certain circles, I imagine. Crop circles. The seed experiment was just one of many things he did, but it probably has become one of the more famous ones because it's lived on to this day. It's called the Beale Seed Experiment. Only famous experiments get names. So Beale was very interested in the question of how long seeds would survive in the soil. It's a simple question and kind of a simple experiment. It's a lot like the one that many of us have done at school or at home. Like when you take a bean and test the different conditions for a plant to sprout, like how much light it gets or what kind of soil it's in or how much water it has or how recently you've eaten it. (laughs) Exactly. But Beale's condition was time, a lot of time. Here's why. Oftentimes we think of seeds as just being um, kind of boring. They just kind of sit there. They don't do anything. But it In reality, seeds are these amazing ways that plants stay in a state of suspended animation up to many years. So meaning that the seeds aren't like really alive, but not really dead either, just like full of potential. Right. When you're talking about seeds in a packet or seeds underground, they last more than one season. But we don't know how long. 
So there's not like an expiration date printed on it? Because <laughs> no. you should just look at that. <laughs> no, but Beale wanted to know the expiration date. So he set up an experiment that would last 100 years. What he did was he put seeds from 23 different species into 20 different bottles, and he had 50 seeds of each species that he put into those bottles. 23 different kinds of seeds and 50 of each seed divided into 20 bottles. So somebody do that math problem. (laughs) And then he dug a big hole in the ground and he buried the glass bottles in a row, so all 20 of them in a row. The next step was to dig up one bottle every five years, at night, so as not to disturb the seeds in the other bottles. You stay asleep, little seedies. Don't be disturbed by the people digging up your home. <laughs> <laughs> then <laughs> Beale would plant the seeds from that bottle and see what sprouted. So what did he see? He would see little grasses and tiny little flowers in his flat of soil. He'd write down how many sprouts there were. And he did this until he got really old and decided to pass the experiment on to a younger scientist. And that scientist decided to make the experiment even longer. Yeah, so at one point it became clear that a lot of the seeds were still germinating. And the experiment would only last 100 years with those 20 jars. Beale's question wouldn't be answered if there were still seeds sprouting at the end of the experiment. And so the decision was made to stretch it out to every 10 years. Now the digs are every 20 years. Because the seeds just keep growing. Right. The experiment and the location of the bottles was passed down from scientist to scientist with the help of a secret map. A secret map? Like, is it all crusty and yellowed and the ink is faded and it says, Arr, find me seedy treasure. No, this is not Beale's original map. No. <laughs> that would be fantastic if it was. I'm not sure that Beale would have marked his seedy treasure anyway, but the map is a modern one. <laughs> and it still has the secret thing going for it. So I guess so no one decides to go searching for buried treasure and then accidentally ruins a 141-year-old experiment. Exactly. Only a small group of plant biologists who work at Michigan State are allowed to dig it up. And David is one of them. Oh, I'm very excited. I first heard about this experiment about 20 years ago when they dug it up the last time. And I've been fascinated by it since then. The legend loomed large in his mind, especially the first time he ever visited Michigan State. And I wandered around campus wondering where these bottles might be actually hidden. Um, Never thinking that it would actually be a faculty member here, let alone actually digging up the bottles tonight. I was talking to David just hours before the dig. He was going to get up at 3 in the morning to meet the rest of the team. But things didn't go exactly as planned on this legendary seed quest. So what happened? Well, a few days after the dig, David told me how it all went down. The night started like a spy operation. Yeah, so we all met up at an undisclosed location, and we came in at different times. Mm, So no one could follow them. That's clever. (laughs) But they're not trained spies. They're scientists. We're all a little bit nervous about it because, you know, didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Only one member of their group had been on the last dig 20 years before. 
Frank, he had been at the previous dig, but he hadn't actually done the dig. He showed up late when it was already dug up. So none of us actually knew exactly what we were doing. So the person with the most experience turns out to have surprisingly poor experience. (laughs) Exactly. The map was mostly what they had to go on. They grab shovels and their other gear and they head out. We were going out in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., wandering out with our crew, trying to be as quiet as possible, walking across the MSU campus to find the secret location where the seeds are buried. It was spring, but the crew was bundled up in coats and hats. There was uh, snow falling down from the sky. It was cold. There was a waft of the skunk smell that came through. It was kind of the full Michigan experience. Finally, they arrive in the area covered by the map. Yeah, so the map, we had to, we had landmarks that um, were out there that we had to measure off of. Like a building they might recognize or uh, the wise rabbit. <laughs> right, the wise ancient rabbit. Like, ah, ye be searching the seeds. <laughs> That's what a rabbit sounds like. The wise ones. <laughs> So the idea is that if you have two points that you're measuring from and you know the distance from those two points, you can take a tape measure from one and let's say measure it out 16 feet and you can take the tape measure from the other um, landmark and measure it out eight feet or so and they'll only intersect each other in one place when you do that. The two tape measures put together make an X where they intersect. That'd be the seeds ye seek. Between these tape measures, ye shall peak. <laughs> what are you going for? 22 I'm going for eight, three. Okay, that's where we're at, right here. Ta-da! All right. I found it. Beale didn't just plant the bottles in the ground. He put them into a concrete box called a vault with four sides but no lid. So it's filled in with dirt. The X marks the spot for the corner of the vault. The team started digging. So what we did was we carefully removed the top part of the soil, like the upper layer with the plants that were on there, and moved them to the side so that we could put it back on top afterwards. They wanted to leave as few signs as possible that something had been dug up there. And then we dug down into the soil with a shovel, just pretty much a simple hand shovel. They knew the bottles were 16 inches below the surface. When they were close, they stopped shoveling. They didn't want to damage the bottles. Then we were pretty much digging with our hands at that point. And sandy soil, so we could actually, it was kind of like being on the beach. This is so cool. Definitely feels like a direct line to history. They dug down deeper and deeper and deeper. But the bottles weren't there. Reaching through the dirt in the dark, all they could feel was the edge of the vault. Wait, so what happened? David had a suspicion that they'd read the map wrong. It always happens to me. (laughs) What had happened was one team member was holding the map inside his jacket to keep it from getting wet. We kept taking it out, unfolding it, looking at it, saying, ah, this doesn't seem right, Um, and then putting it back inside the jacket. (laughs) So they weren't really able to study the map. No, and David told me that the team as a whole really hadn't spent too much time with it before. I, I kind of realized I, had, I was the only one who had actually seen the map before. Well, so they're basically just flying blind. 
David finally insists on stopping the dig and taking a good hard look at the map. So it's not three feet inside, it's three feet outside. I think three feet outside the outside, right? Okay. The team realized that instead of digging into the vault, they dug outside the vault. So you had to kind of squint at the map and see like, oh, look, the dotted lines go to the right-hand corner and not the left-hand corner of the vault. And at that point, it was like, okay, we need to shift over. So, so we might need to come this I way think, a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Shoot. So they dig again. And finally, Marjorie hid something. Oh. What's that? Uh-oh. I think I found it. <laughs> Wait, oh, maybe not. <laughs> we lost Marjorie. It was a rock. Marjorie was down there in the hole, and she was feeling around for it, and she kept um, hitting yeah, tree roots and rocks and things like that. David's getting nervous at this point. There was definitely some frustrating moments. Uh, and, and with that pressure of that time, I think all of us, it crossed our mind that we might have to, to bury everything and come back and try again another day. Oh, no. Marjorie was the only one who could fit into the hole, and everyone else just stood around watching helplessly. They had about 15 minutes until the sun would start to rise. So once the birds started chirping um, and doing their dawn chorus, then we knew the sunrise was coming. And, and then the pressure really turned on. But at last... Okay, now I for real found it. You did? Yeah. Yeah, yes. I definitely did. Yeah. Look at that! Marjorie carefully removes just one bottle, leaving the rest untouched for future generations. Oh, there it is. Wow. The bottle's made of thick, clear glass with a long neck and a rectangular body. It's filled to the top with sand, and the seeds are hiding inside of it. Mission accomplished. Not yet. The seeds have to make it back to their new home without anyone spilling or breaking the bottle. So did David get to carry it? No, that was a job he definitely didn't want. I'm a klutz when it comes to science things. Wait, so isn't he a scientist? So, like... What things is he not a klutz with? (laughs) He's actually a great ice skater. (laughs) Olympic figure skating, fine. Can land that triple lutz, no klutz. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to science things, do not hand me a beaker. (laughs) Ultimately, another scientist drove the bottle back and the whole team goes down to the basement of the building. And so the basement of the plant biology buildings has a bunch of different facilities down there. And including over 200 of what we call growth chambers. And these are like giant things that look like huge refrigerators um, that have open doors on the sides of them. These growth chambers are designed for scientists to run their plant experiments under precise conditions, from the light to the temperature. So we took the bottle and we spread it out on top of a flat full of topsoil and we wetted the, the soil and then place that flat carefully inside of one of the growth chambers. With the seeds finally settled in soil around 8 a.m., David was done being a scientist spy treasure hunter. Now his job was to check to see if anything sprouted. And a few days later... Looking over the soil, oh my God, there's something that germinated. It was one tiny, very normal-looking two-leafed little sprout coming up from the soil. 
Wow, from a seed older than my great-grandparents. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect to see anything today. This is, wow. I love how excited David is. He's like a proud plant dad. <laughs> In the days after, other seedlings followed. Yeah, so at this point, um, we have nine seedlings that have germinated, and they all look like the same species. Well, so that means Beale's experiment isn't over. We still don't know how long seeds can last. The experiment is scheduled to go on to 2100, 221 years after Beale started the experiment. David plans to be at the next dig, and after that... Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that the map gets passed along to somebody else. At, th- at this point, we have the buddy system going where at least two people on campus need to know where this thing is. We can't just have it be one person anymore. So one thing we learned is make sure to study the treasure map in advance of the treasure hunt. For sure. And here's another thing David's taking away from the experience. To really have the long-term perspective on science and that you know, what you do today may have an impact many years in the future. You too could send scientists 100 years in the future on a wild mission in the middle of the night. For science. Now it's time for our update. I caught up recently with David to find out how the experiment ended up. Since the last time we talked, there's 20 seeds that came up from the soil that was inside the bottle. 14 of those seeds sprouted naturally, but David and his team wanted to take it a step further. To see if there was any more that could come up, we stuck the flat containing the seeds into a cold room where they remained for almost two months. And we know that cold stimulates seeds to grow. This actually ended up working. So when we took them back out of the cold room, we got six more to germinate quickly. Wow. Okay. So that's a total of 14 plus six late bloomers. That's 20 seeds. So which plants were they? All 20 of the seeds that germinated in the experiment were from the genus Verbascum. But the plants weren't all the same species of Verbascum, which was a surprise to the scientists. So they're planning more experiments to find out exactly what they are. But David's already learned a lot from this stage of the Beale seed experiment. It tells us that seeds like verbascum can stay viable for up to 141 years in the soil seed bank. And, you know, we're looking forward towards the future. So 18 more years from now, in the year 2040, we hope to go out there and do another dig see if there are viable seeds at that point. A year after doing this show, I'm still shocked by how long this experiment is. I know. Kids listening today will have to wait for the next installment in 18 years. (laughs) But they'll only have to wait two weeks for our next all-new original episode, which is a lot shorter. It's a lot shorter. (laughs) We still have more episodes left in Season 7, We just both got sick last week and had to take a little break. But stay tuned for more exciting science stories. Thanks to Dr. David Bryant-Lowry, Associate Professor of Plant Biology at Michigan State University. Thanks also to MSU Communications for the audio used in the story. To learn more about the Beale Seed Experiment, 
listen to our bonus interview episode with David. It's available to patrons who pledge just $1 a month or more on patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Plus, you can learn more about the experiment and plant biology in general at our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. You can also upload your drawings and photos to us there or email them to us at tumblepodcast at gmail.com. Sarah Robertson Lentz designed the episode art and is our head of partnerships. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this episode. And I'm Marsh Lescamilla, and I made all of the music. Tumble is a production of Tumble Media. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery. Thanks so much for listening to that episode, and now that it's over, we've got some birthday shoutouts to give to our supporters on Patreon. To Charlie, future fighter pilot who is happiest when he's going Mach 2 with his hair on fire, happy May 14th birthday from mom and dad and Tess. They love you so much. Also, maybe don't let your hair stay on fire for too long. Sounds kind of dangerous. Emma Jane, happy birthday on May 14th. Alexis Batson, happy birthday also on May 14th. Another happy May 14th birthday, Leland Oak. Mom, dad, and Ivy love the way you soak up the world around you. Love from them. Joshua, stay comfortable being you and keep asking those incredible questions and happy birthday, May 16th. Rosalie, your mama is so proud of you every day and loves you a lot and happy birthday on May 16th. Xander, keep asking questions. Mama and Papa, your parental units love you. Happy May 18th birthday. Griffin, happy birthday on May 19th. Vitalev Wollstonecraft, Papa, Mama, Sanders, Floor, Newton, Eclipse, Honey, and the Chickens all love you and are so proud of you. And happy birthday on May 20th. Happy May 20th birthday to Chloe. Daddy and Mommy love you. Max, keep asking questions and happy birthday on May 20th as well. Hugo Brown, happy birthday on May 21st. Mom and Dad are proud of you and love you very much. Adrian, Mama and Papa love you to infinity and happy birthday on May 23rd. Magnolia Star, happy birthday on May 24th. From your parents, they say, We are in awe of your creative and kind spirit. It's our greatest joy watching you and your siblings grow. Happy ninth trip around the sun. Lily, Mom, Drake, and Scrappy the Cat love you very much. They're so proud of you. Happy birthday on May 26th. Beckett K, Mom and Jim hope you have an amazing day on your May 26th birthday. And finally, happy 10th birthday, Santiago. Mom hopes you continue your love for math and science and love on your birthday on May 26th. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. If you want to get a birthday shout out of your own like these fine folks, simply support Tumble on Patreon at the $5 level or higher by going to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Once again, that's patreon.com slash tumblepodcast.